And good afternoon to yourself, to himself, all right. You all right, there you are. Thursday's programme, then it is the 6th of May, 2021, with the old BBG with you for, well, for a while anyway. I can't say how long today, but I'll be with you for a while. BBG Richie on Twitter, that's how you say hello to me. Welcome to the show. It's the BBG, not the BBC. You're listening to the Richie Allen Radio Show, live from Salford in Greater Manchester. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, so I've got a bit of a news roundup for you today, a news roundup of sorts, analysis and twaddle and guff, lots of guff coming up over the next hour or 90 minutes. As I said, you can join in on Twitter. It's about the best way to reach me these days. Let's just uh, ixnay the old theme tune. Yeah. Have you been out voting today, have you, have you, in the local elections? Or maybe, let me just take off one of me cans, ah, that's a million times better. Yeah, I've been practising lately, doing it the old school way, the way we were taught to do it, which is have one headphone on and one headphone off. And Paul Ripley, God bless him, God love him and God keep him, one of the nicest guys you could ever wish to meet in your lifetime, Paul was chastising me recently about going back to the old school way of doing things. He said to me, did Ripman, as he's known to his friends, he said, Richie, you're, you're deaf enough as it is without wearing the cans and turning the volume up. Wear them half on, half off. I'm trying to get used to it. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to persevere with it anyway. Did you go out to vote today? Did you vote for Piers Corbyn? Did you vote for David Curtin? Did you vote for one of the other candidates, whom anti-lockdown candidates, whom you might have heard on the programme, uh, this programme? Did you? Tell me, I, I won't hold it against you. I don't think you're mad. Uh, did you spoil your ballot? Did you? Did you piss all over your ballot? Did you defecate in the polling booth? Did you take selfies? Did you turn up drunk? Because apparently you're not supposed to turn up drunk to the polling booth. Did you do any of that unsavoury stuff? Or did you just go in and give a vote to a, an anti-lockdown candidate? You can tell Uncle Richard. Uncle Richie, I'm here to listen to you. It's BBG Richie and there you are. Right, OK, I didn't. Obviously, I don't vote. Just don't do it. I know, it would have been a difficult thing for me if I was in London, given a number one or a number two to David Curtin or to Piers Corbyn. Would you have done it? Sure, look, we'll, we'll find out, won't we? I hope the candidates that we met, the anti-lockdown and anti-vaccine passport ones, I hope at the very least they get their deposits back. Is that a thing in the UK? I think it is. It's the sort of stuff I should know. I know, I know, I know. Uh, bold men are up to two and a half times more likely to suffer severe coronavirus symptoms, apparently. And some of you couldn't wait to share that story with me today. I don't know why you couldn't wait to share it with me today. I actually have hair. I choose to shave my head. I'm not really bald, you know. If I left my hair grow, I'd be like Brian May after six months. And my nose has just grown several inches. Yeah, a bit thin on top there. Bold men up to two and a half times more likely to suffer severe COVID symptoms, according to the Daily Mail and the Daily Mirror, the Daily Star. Don't know how they conducted that study. 
I have no idea, but anyway, look, I've loads to bring you, loads of audio to bring you, and discussion points to bring you, and we'll do all of that. An absolutely crappy day again today. Crappy, grim, gloomy, rather cold for this time of year. Maybe tis true, maybe the maunder minimum is nine years early, maybe. Maybe. So just you and me today, loads to talk about, as I said, be jeepers, be Jesus, loads to bring you. I want to talk for a few minutes about this. It's been going around my mind for the last couple of days. Now, if you've been with if you've been with me on this journey, <laughs> this garbage, if you've been around me for a while, you'll know that I basically started out in nineteen ninety-eight. Don't yawn now. Don't groan. Shut up, I said. I'm not going to go into repeating things I've told you before. I'm not. Kind of. No, I'm not. I'm not. So I started out in 1998. I was uh, living in a in, in a house, a terraced house, a two up, two down in Waterford City Centre. And at the time I started out, I got my first satellite television subscription. Right? As you do. To watch the football not to watch the porn channels or the freeview porn stuff that they give you before the subscription stuff. I never did that. I never used my satellite dish and my card to look at that stuff. Never. That's the nose grown 17 more inches. Anyway, so I got the old satellite dish put in and I was really interested in it for football. Sky Sports coverage. You had to deal with Sky back then. So I got my Sky subscription and I saw Fox News for the first time. Now I'm kind of making my way into radio, right? Not talk radio straight away, but I was hugely interested in current affairs and news even at that time. Didn't have any ambitions really about getting into the talk side of things. I was delighted just doing the jock thing, uh, the music show type of thing. Anyway, long story short, Sky News was also streaming, streaming, Jesus, was also featuring Fox News. And I was able to see Fox News for the first time and it kind of blew me away. You know, think back now. O'Reilly began the O'Reilly Factor in 1996. By the time I saw it, it would have been about two years. That programme would have been about two years old and it blew me away. I'd never seen anything like it. Never. There was no hard news anywhere. No news. This was my kind of first exposure to commentary, I suppose. And it was my first exposure to a... How do I say this? To a man wearing a suit on a news station, haranguing and bullying some of his guests. Never seen that before. Grew up in Ireland... Remember Don Coburn? Remember Anne Doyle? Newsreaders, right? I'd never seen anything like it. My first exposure to it, and it kind of blew me away. The whole show blew me away. And much of what Fox News was offering was basically the same other commentary-type programmes, Sean Hannity and people like that. Basically a programme with a presenter espousing a specific point of view. And then, importantly, you've got to remember this, not only the presenter espousing a specific point of view, but bringing on guests who shared that point of view. Not exclusively now, but mostly. That blew me away. Remember, I'm a young paddy, and I've not seen this before, and I'm thinking, how is he getting away with that? 
How is he getting away with, first of all, giving his opinion, number one, and then inviting people on who share that opinion, and only rarely inviting on somebody who disagrees? Now, what I was astounded by was when somebody was brought on who disagreed with O'Reilly, the behaviour of O'Reilly was stunning to me. You know, shouting people down, cutting their microphone off. Unbelievable. And of course, he wasn't the only one doing it. And I remember thinking, that'll never fly here. We'll never see that. No way, Jose. That's dreadful. And I spoke of it with colleagues of mine that I would meet, you know, when I was doing the late night radio and I would meet the breakfast presenters. I would go in during the day, never much of a sleeper. And I would hang around the newsroom. And of course, I thought I was the only guy watching this, as you do. And I said to my colleagues, are you watching this feckin' stuff? And of course, they knew all about it. They were like, yeah. I said, that's madness, yeah. And a couple of years later, I discovered a guy called Keith Olbermann, MSNBC. Our American listeners might remember Countdown on MB- Countdown with, what was it called? Countdown with Keith Olbermann on MSNBC. And I came across him on the other side. I didn't watch much CNN or MSNBC. I watched O'Reilly, even though I disliked him. And I didn't share any of his points of view. But it's that old thing. It's the old Howard Stern thing, isn't it? The more rubbish it is and the more annoying it is, back then anyway, the more inclined I was to turn it on (laughs) and watch it and shake me fist at the telly kind of a thing. Anyway, so I discovered this guy called Keith Olbermann. And he suited me because he despised Bill O'Reilly and he despised Fox News. And he had a progressive, or you might say liberal viewpoint. And I found myself agreeing with Keith Olbermann. I found myself liking him because, as I've just said, I despised O'Reilly. And Olbermann regularly took O'Reilly down on his show. And then I had an epiphany. This is true, as true as you're there and I'm here. And the epiphany I had was that this was all a trap, really. It was a massive trap, and I'd fallen into it. Because ultimately, Olbermann wasn't acting like more of a journalist than O'Reilly. He wasn't. He was doing the same thing in a different way, but he was doing the same thing. He was espousing a point of view on behalf of a network, on behalf of a massive network. And he was telling me things that I wanted to hear. And I had the epiphany that I was basically being snared into this paradigm, into this culture shift. What a thing, I thought to myself at the time. Wow, what's happening to the news? Why am I giving Olbermann a pass for doing the things that O'Reilly is doing, even if he's doing them in a more congenial way? What's happening? Why Why would I fall for that? Where's the news? Where's the news? Where's the hard news? Followed by, here's this person who says this, and here's person two who says something different. Let's let's speak to both of them. What's going on? I was suckered into it. And again, I remember thinking, this is kind of crude, but also kind of sophisticated. I'm being told by Olbermann what I want to hear. And I thought, wow. And I began to think. And it was around about this time, that you moved on a few years, that I was taking a a wee break from producing talk radio and presenting it. And I was thinking all the time, 
Why are they telling people what to think? Where's the news? Where's the hard news? Now, if you've never heard the term hard news before, some of this is going to be boring for you because you've heard this, maybe not so much from me specifically, but you'll have an idea. I'm going to tell you anyway the ABCs of it. Hard news, as it used to be, is a story that's in your interest and it's in my interest. It's basically a news organisation saying, we think you should know this because it is in your interest. Here's the facts as we have found them. Us, the journalists, here's the facts. And now we've got Jim and we've got Mary. Jim says it's bollocks. Mary says, no, something else is going on. That is it. And you and me, the listeners or the viewers, were then encouraged to think. That's the simplicity of the way it used to be. Here's a story. We've gleaned some facts. Here's Jim and here's Mary. And then you move on. The listener or the viewer then is encouraged to think about what they've seen and heard. And you don't opine. And you in no way try to shape the thinking of the viewer or the listener. You don't do that. Any political opinion you might have, any opinion at all that you might have, is left at the front door of the station every day. Okay? Here's the story. Here's some relevant people. We'll question them. Move on. The rest is up to you, dear viewer. Couldn't be any simpler, right? But now it's all about telling you what to think and what you want to hear. And I used to speak of this commentary trend with my colleagues back in the early 2000s, and we were astounded by it. Again, because we were forbidden. You couldn't offer a personal opinion. You couldn't editorialise, because you'd be complained, and the Broadcasting Authority in Ireland would, would, would punish you for it. You couldn't do it. You basically moderated debates between people, ordinary folks like you and me, or politicians. You never said what was what. You never said what the truth was. Unthinkable. And I said, it'll never get here. We'll never have this. Of course, I was wrong. I'm often wrong, me. I jest that I'm not, but I'm often wrong. Of course, it arrived in Ireland and it arrived on the shores of the UK as four or five mega corporations took over uh, pretty much the bulk of the world's media. The big media now. The major television channels and the major newspapers and the printing companies and the cinemas and the theatres and all of that. Okay, four or five mega corporations did that. But then those corporations launched smaller subsidiaries. And the subsidiaries bought up local television and radio stations all over the world and homogenized them. Look up the term homogenized. Homogenized these. Local news started to disappear out of our lives. Local news, sourced by and produced by and ultimately presented by local people. Disappeared. Gone. Now that is real New World Order stuff right there. That's real Agenda 2030 stuff right there. It is. Kill the local. Kill the regional. Replace with the global. Minimise the, the globe. Make the world a smaller place. Convince people it's a good thing. Convince people that giving them news about stuff that's going on in America or that's going on in France is in their interest. Domestic stuff, when it isn't, of course. 
and then ultimately kill local, re regional, replace with global, and then replace journalism with commentary. And in the UK now, outside of the BBC, which is garbage, you've got LBC and you've got talk radio. You've got the centre-left LBC. If we believe these terms, if we give them value, let's give these terms value just for a moment for the crack. So you have LBC centre-left, talk radio centre-right. Conservative, right? Each one has got a prime time lineup of commentators telling you what to think and rarely, but not exclusively, rarely hosting those who disagree with them. Rarely. Now that, that, that presents a huge problem. We might come back to that now in a moment. I'm going somewhere with all of this. And the reason it's a big problem that you're getting talked at by these presenters, by centre-left idiots like James O'Brien on LBC and the centre-right Mike Graham and Julia Hartley Brewer. The reason there's a big problem with them talking at you and telling you the way it is is because I've found in my life, and I've met millions of people as a journalist, that most people, most people in my experience, I'm not declaring this now to be a fact, this is conjecture, it's just my opinion. Most people are mostly moderate. Most people are not uh, hardened in their viewpoints. They're not extreme and they are not welded to or married to their points of view on, on any subject you can care to, to, to mention. They're not. Most people are middle ground. They're kind of a bit indifferent sometimes about things. Now, don't forget, most people haven't been exposed to the things that you've been exposed to and that I've been exposed to. The majority, don't ever forget that. Most of the people you meet in your life, daily lives, going about your business, shopping, working, they have not been exposed to the things you have. Okay? They are the majority. So they wear the masks and the distancing and all the rest of it. And Julia Hartley Brewer or Mike Graham or Alison Pearson in The Telegraph won't change these people's minds because they're telling them they're wrong. And sometimes they tell them they're stupid. And other times they tell them they don't know what they're doing wearing the masks and all the rest of it. And people don't like that. I'll ask you, how's that worked for you, that approach with your family members? How has that worked with your friends, with your cousins, with your boyfriends, your girlfriends, your husbands, your wives? How's it worked? How's it worked when you've gone, yeah, but Martin Kuldor from Harvard and Carl Hennigan and Dolores Cahill said, uh, they don't budge, do they, these people you speak to? They don't budge and you can't understand it. And it's because people don't want to be domineered to. No such thing to be domineered to. They don't want to be browbeaten by people because they're fairly moderate and fairly mild. And it seems perfectly reasonable to them that there's a virus and therefore it's perfectly reasonable to wear a mask and to, to not see granny for a year and, and to take uh, a vaccine. Right? So you tell them all about Martin Kuldor from Harvard and, and, and why not? You're right to tell them that. 
And they go, yeah, but sure, but you're Julia Hartley Brewer and Mike Graham. They're just old Rupert Murdoch puppets, aren't they? Nigel Farage-type people, aren't they? You know, of course they're going to say, uh, don't close down the businesses. They're free market capitalists. So your mates don't listen. Your mates say, why will I listen to them? And your mates got a point, right? Your mates got a point. Because these programmes are not news programmes, they're commentary programmes. Julie Hartley Brewer tells you that lockdown is stupid and it kills more people than it saves, which it does, by the way. But then Julia brings on a guest who agrees with her. You don't see them often interviewing um, some of the pro-lockdown enthusiasts that you see on Good Morning Britain or that you see on Sky News or the BBC. Now, don't tell me that these people don't take up the invitation to appear with Julia Hartley Brewer. Because you'd be wrong. They're not being invited on. You might find that hard to believe, but believe me, it's true. This is the trend. And if they were doing that more often, then the Billy who you play five-a-side football with, or your Auntie, Auntie Mavis, as David Icke would have said one time, who's all for lockdown and all for vaccines and all for social distancing, might be inclined to pay a little bit more attention to it. But the news is not presented as the news was once presented. It's commentary now. Here's my opinion. It's the presenter, my opinion. And here's a guest who agrees with me most of the time. And ultimately that becomes a comfort blanket for those of us who are awake. It's no good because it's not changing anyone's mind. Not because of the message. The message is most often, more often than not, it's, it's true, it's factual, it's, 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 um, it's accurate. Lockdowns kill more people than they could ever save. Masks are ridiculous. They don't prevent the spread of transmission of anything. Closing down businesses is insane. It's tyrannical. All of that is true, but the messenger is blinding most of the public to that fact. The messenger, the channels, the presenters, even if the presenters mean well. That's what's happened. I'm going to play some audio in, in a moment from Tucker Carlson from Fox News. It was sent to me by Spiro Skouras. And it's very interesting and very important. And the information contained within it is accurate. And I like some of the stuff Tucker Carlson has done. But I find myself again looking at his programme regularly. And I see Tucker talking about how bad lockdown is and we need to open up and not everybody needs to take the vaccine. Good, good stuff. But I never see a scientist working for the CDC who believes vaccines are good and, 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 and say it for me, social distancing is good and mask wearing is good. And again, don't come back at me and say, these people won't go on those programmes. That is not true. If it were true, people like Julia Hartley Brewer and Mike Graham and others would spend an enormous amount of time telling you we've invited on this guy from Sage in the UK who wants to ruin your lives by keeping you locked up forever. But he won't come on because he's a chicken. They tell you. But it's not the way it's done anymore. It's the format. The format doesn't lend to seeking out people with whom you fundamentally disagree on anything. 
That's the format. It's now second nature for these people to go on the radio and tell you how shit lockdown is and how harmful it is to children and then bring somebody on who says that. But Billy O you play five aside with, he's not going to watch it. It's useless. Commentary. Great example of commentary. From the other side, from the, from the pro-lockdown side. And what's happened to the media. It's about the most depressing and equally funny thing I've heard in weeks. It's uh, a woman I'd never heard of before. That, that's prob- probably igualmente. Uh, she's probably not heard of me either. She, her name is Andrea Gilligan. She presents a radio programme for News Talk in Ireland. And she's a proper gobsheen, this clown. She was on her programme the other day at lunchtime. It's a national radio station. And she was discussing news out of County Donegal that the police in Donegal, the Gardaí, are going to set up a tip line, wait for it, for, for, for people from Donegal, for people who live in Donegal, to phone the police and tell them if you're out in the back garden with 15 people from the neighbourhood to celebrate your 40th birthday, or if you're running your business from your house and you've got customers coming or whatever, the guardie set up a tip line. And she thinks it's brilliant, Andrea Gilligan. And it's a classic example of some of what I've been talking about today. The dedicated line or a special hotline that's been set up in Donegal for reporting breaches of COVID-19 guidelines to the Gardaí. We'll call it what it is. It's not a special hotline. It's a rat line. You're being asked to report people who are breaking the uh, COVID restrictions, who are flouting the rules, that are having illegal gatherings, illegal parties, whatever you want. You're being asked to call the rat line and to report people. And I have to say, I think people in the county are going to have to do it. I know they're not going to like this. I know they're not going to like the suggestion. I know they didn't like a lot of the commentary over the weekend. But there's been a lot of concern being expressed in recent days about the rise in the cases in County Donegal. And the reality is, if people don't start to report some of these incidents that we're being told are happening, that certainly appear to be happening, if you're to look at the fact it is the second highest COVID-19 incidence rate in the country, um, you're going to... What's the solution? Businesses that have been shut for the past 12 and 13 months in some cases are not going to be allowed to reopen on the 10th of May. People that are working in those businesses where the shutters have been pulled down are not going to get back to work. And I think people are going to have to use this rat line. I think it's not a bad idea at all. In actual fact, I was talking to somebody in County Donegal this morning on the phone, just no less than about an hour and 15 minutes ago, who simply asked me, where has this hotline been actually for the past 12 or 13 months? People are going to have to use the rat lines. National news now. This is news as it is given to people in the 21st century. This is commentary dressed up as news. The rat line is a good thing. Where has it been for the last 12 months? We need the rat line. Now, the way that should have happened is that programme, like everybody else, would have learned that the Gardaí in Donegal wanted people to phone them to rat on their neighbours if they felt their neighbours were in breach of coronavirus guidelines. And how that should go and how it would have went if I was producing that programme, she would never be allowed to express an opinion on that. You would invite a member of the Garda Siakona in Donegal to come on the programme to speak about it. And you would invite somebody who is completely against it for reasons, for obvious reasons, it's a gross violation of civil liberties. It's, it's Gestapo stuff. 
It's nasty. It's Nazi asking your neighbours to hang their neighbours. That's what you would do. You would get the guard to say why we think we need to do it. You would get the civil libertarian person on to say this is absolutely ridiculous. It's sinister. And this, you know, this is Orwellian. And you would never say a word. That's how it used to be. It's 20, what is it, 28 minutes past five o'clock on, on Thursday's Richie Allen radio show. I've loads to uh, tell you, loads to talk about. We're going to talk about vaccine deaths, that is fatalities, people dying, having received the vaccine in a moment. There was a very interesting monologue from uh, Tucker Carson on Fox News last night, shared with me, as I mentioned earlier, by Spiro Skouras. When I come back, we'll... Well, we'll hear quite a bit of that and we'll discuss it. You and me, it's at BBG Richie. The Richie Allen Radio Show, live from Salford. This is, uh, well, it's George Benson. I don't know why I had to look at that. I knew it was George Benson. George Benson, give me the night on the Richie Allen Radio Show, 28 minutes to 6 o'clock, Thursday's programme. How you doing? Yeah, I've been chatting with uh, my great pal Gene Ann in Connemara. I don't like to sound pompous and lectury. No such word as lectury either, by the way, just in case you were wondering. When, when, when doling out those uh, kind of trips down media memory lane. But it's very important to understand what has happened to the media and why it does what it does and how it does what it does. The methodology, so as not to be trapped by it. Not to fall for it, you know. It's easy to fall for it. It's easy to watch these things and be happy because, you know, it seems like a presenter is, is on board with the truth and is on board with what's really happening. And, and that's good, you know. It's good. I suppose it's good for your mental well-being, dare I say that. But the problem with it is it's not conducive to Billy, your five-a-side pal. Mary, your auntie, the majority, the 99.5% of people in the world, it's never going to make them, it's never going to give them a moment of pause. And it's set up the way it is set up to make sure that never happens. I know you might think it's a stretch that it sounds like a bit of a stretch, sounds like a leap, but that's the way it is. You see, people like Julia and Mike Graham on, on I'm only talking about them specifically because th- those two are about the only ones constantly banging on about ending lockdown now and giving us back all of our freedoms. It's the only reason I'm talking about them. That all sounds brilliant, but ultimately it's all, it's all planned for and it's all part of a plan. I know it's hard to get your head around that, but it is. You can see it very clearly when you look at it. And I think the people involved are not aware of it. It's a nice, comfortable position to be in on a radio programme where you have a point of view and most of the time you are speaking to people who have the same point of view as you do. Do you understand? Anyway, we're going to move on and talk about something very important. The reporting of vaccine fatalities or vaccine deaths. Tucker Carlson last night on Fox News does a monologue, don't we all? Does a monologue and um, did last night, I should say, did a monologue. And it's very interesting. And I've got about eight minutes of it to bring you, but I'm going to break it up so we can chat about it. Uh, This first clip is the opening of it. And it's about, well, it's just under three minutes long. I don't think Tucker or Fox News is going to come after me for copyright. Not least because I'm crediting them. And I'm recommending you go and watch it on, on YouTube on their channel. But I can't show it to you on YouTube on their channel because I'm on the radio. 
Listen very carefully to this. It's very important. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Here's a very simple question. How many Americans have died after taking the COVID vaccines? That's not Americans who've been killed by the virus. That's a huge number. It's how many Americans have died after getting the vaccines designed to prevent the virus? Do you know the answer to that question? Do you know anything about the downside? We know a lot about the upside of vaccines. We've been completely in favor of vulnerable people taking vaccines. But what about the potential risks? You think you would know more about that than you do. We talk a lot about vaccines constantly, not just on this show, but in this country. Joe Biden was on TV yesterday talking about vaccines. He wants you to get one. Everyone in authority wants you to get one. In fact, you probably already had your shot and good for you. If you haven't had your shot, you're under enormous pressure to get your shot. You understand that soon you may not be able to fly on commercial airlines or go to work at the office or send your children to school if you don't have the shot. Meanwhile, the social pressure is enormous. Friends may have informed you already that you are not welcome at their parties or their weddings if you haven't been vaccinated. So there is a lot of pressure to comply. At some point, you probably will comply. It's just too difficult not to be vaccinated in this country. But before you do comply, ask yourself, do you know anything about the potential risks? Probably you don't know much. We assume the risks are negligible. Vaccines are not dangerous. That's not a guess. We know that pretty conclusively from the official numbers. Every flu season, for example, we give influenza shots to more than 160 million Americans. Every year, a relatively small number of people seem to die after getting those shots. To be precise, in 2019, that number was 203 people. The year before that, 2018, it was 119 people. In 2017, it was a total of just 85 people who died after getting the flu shot. Now, every death is tragic, obviously, but at big picture, we do not consider those numbers to be disqualifying. We keep giving flu shots and very few people complain about it. So the question is, how do those numbers compare to the apparent death rate from the coronavirus vaccines now being distributed across the country? That's worth knowing. So we checked today, and here's the answer. And these numbers come from the same set of government numbers that we just read to you from. Here they are. Between late December of 2020 and last month, a total of 3,362 people apparently died after getting the COVID vaccine in the United States. 3,362. That's an average of roughly 30 people every day. So what does that add up to? By the way, that reporting period ended on April 23, and we don't have numbers past that, not quite up to date. But we can assume that another 360 people at that rate have died in the 12 days since. So you put it all together, and that is a total of 3,722 deaths. That's almost 4,000 people who died after getting the COVID vaccines. Right, so that's startling enough, isn't it? Right, this is from the VAERS reporting system, V-A-E-R-S, right? You know, I don't have to give you the, uh, the full thing. What comes next is interesting. The actual number is almost certainly higher than that, perhaps vastly higher than that. Why? This is interesting. Why would the actual number be higher? This is speculation, I remember. The data we just cited come from the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System, VAERS. VAERS is managed by the CDC and the FDA. VAERS has received a lot of criticism over the years, some of it founded. Some critics have argued for a long time that VAERS undercounts vaccine injuries. A report submitted to the Department of Health and Human Services in 2010 concluded that, quote, fewer than 1% of vaccine adverse events are reported by the VAERS system, fewer than 1%. So what is the real number of people who apparently have been killed or injured by the vaccines? Well, we don't know that number. Nobody does, and we're not going to speculate about it on this show. 
But it's clear that what is happening now, for whatever reason, is not even close to normal. It's not even close to what we see in previous years with previous vaccines. Most vaccines are not accused of killing large numbers of people. The Menvio vaccine, for example, is given to people around the world, often children, to prevent bacterial meningitis. In this country, only one person died from that vaccine in the entire period between 2010 and 2015. One. So compare that to what is happening now with the coronavirus rollout. In just the first four months of this year, the U.S. government has recorded more deaths after COVID vaccinations than from all other vaccines administered in the United States between mid-1997 and the end of 2013. Massive, right? If it's true, more, more instances of death following vaccination during the COVID vaccine rollout than of any other vaccine in the last 20 years, right? If that's true, right? Of course, the big question is, why is nobody talking about it? That is a period of 15 and a half years. 15 and a half years, yeah. Again, more people, according to VAERS, have died after getting the shot in four months during a single vaccination campaign than from all other vaccines combined over more than a decade and a half. Chart that out. It's a stunning picture. Now, the debate is over what it means. Again, there's a lot of criticism of the reporting system. Some people say, well, it's just a coincidence that someone gets a shot and then dies, possibly from other causes. No one really knows is the truth. We spoke to one physician today who actively treats COVID patients. He described what we're seeing now as the single deadliest mass vaccination event in modern history. Now this is, I, I've got a problem with this. Not that I don't believe it, but he doesn't reveal this person's name. And you really should do that. Who is this physician who says this very, very strong, uh, or, or I should say, who offers this very strong opinion? Actively treats COVID patients. He described what we're seeing now as the single deadliest mass vaccination event in modern history. The single deadliest mass vaccination event in modern history. Who is this man? Why is he not being interviewed? Whatever is causing it, it is happening as we speak. So you'd think that someone in authority might want to know what it is, what's going on. If the vaccine injury reporting system is flawed, and clearly it is flawed, why hasn't it been fixed? And more to the point, why has there not been an independent vaccine safety board impaneled to assess what is happening and reassure people who stumble across official government numbers on the internet? But amazingly, none of that has been done. No one even mentions the numbers. And in fact, you're not allowed to. You'll be pulled off the internet if you do. The people in charge do not acknowledge them and said they warn us about what might happen if we don't take the vaccine. Here's Joe Biden. You know, there's a lot of misinformation out there, but there's one fact I want every American to know. People who are not fully vaccinated can still die every day from COVID-19. This is your choice. It's life and death. Life and death, he says. Right. So Carlson now gets into a little bit about, well, it's not life and death. And Carlson discusses in the next segment the way they lump everybody together. In, in, by everybody, I mean every human being in the country together, even though people are, some people are less likely to get sick if they contract coronavirus. Young people are very unlikely to be sick. In fact, are never, um, in, in most cases, are, are never sick at all. 
and he gets into discussing this and this is hugely interesting. A lot of comment on it. I will be reading the tweets when, when I come back. People who are not fully vaccinated can still die every day from COVID-19, Joe Biden said. And as a factual matter, that is true. But it is also misleading. Not all Americans are at similar risk of dying from COVID-19. Some are at relatively high risk, the old and the sick. They might want to get vaccinated, most do. Some are at very low risk of dying, the young and the healthy. Others appear to be at essentially no risk at all. That would include anyone who's had COVID and recovered. Virtually all of those people seem to be immune. And that's true for many viruses. So those second two categories, the young and the healthy and the previously infected, may add up if you combine them to hundreds of millions of people in this country. The funny thing is the White House, the official policymakers who are designing the vaccine rollout, do not acknowledge that those categories even exist. Health authorities are pretending that everyone's health and risk potential is exactly the same as everyone else's. And that's why Joe Biden has demanded that 70% of all American adults, regardless of age, regardless of health condition, regardless critically of pre-existing antibodies from previous infections, get the COVID shot by the 4th of July two months from now or else. Now, this might be an acceptable policy, it would never be an ethical policy, but as a practical matter, it might be acceptable to the country if COVID vaccines we could show conclusively came with no risk. And if we truly understood the long-term effects of those vaccines. But, but there hasn't been any long-term studies done on the uh, gene therapy drugs because they're not vaccines anyway. Let's not get, get into that because we know that. There are no long-term studies. These things were rushed into existence and given emergency use authorization, right? So nobody knows or can know or could speculate as to what having one of these things might mean for you six months, 12 months, 18 months, five or 10 years down the road, right? But neither one of those things is true. We know that according to the government reporting system, thousands of people have died after getting the shot. That is true in this country where it's hotly debated when it's talked about at all. But it's also true in European countries whose record keeping on this question is, if anything, more reliable than ours. Many thousands of other people appear to have been injured after getting the vaccination. VAERS records nearly 900 non-fatal heart attacks in people who just received the shot. 2,700 people reported unexplained chest pains. In all, the vaccine, according to the government reporting system, appears to have contributed to at least 8,000 hospitalizations. Some of the side effects defy easy explanation. Researcher Alex Berenson has noted that coronavirus vaccines now account for almost one third of all tinnitus reports in the VAERS database. Tinnitus, the ringing in your ears. The American Tinnitus Association says it has received many questions on that link. It's still not known if there is a link, but there's concern about it. Meanwhile, researchers at Oxford and UCLA have begun tracking coronavirus vaccine side effects across eight separate countries. What have they found? Among other things, quote, women aged 18 to 34 years old had a higher rate of deep vein thrombosis than men of the same age. They also found that heart attacks were, quote, common in people 85 years and older who'd taken the vaccine. They found some serious potential side effects in some children. Quote, anaphylaxis and appendicitis were more common in young people. Now, vaccines are complicated medicines, and as with any drug, it can take a long time to get it precisely right, the dosage, for example. And this is not the first time that people have been hurt during a vaccination campaign. That is bound to happen. What's different this time and so striking is the reaction to these numbers. Here's a contrast for you. In 1976, the U.S. government vaccinated 45 million people for the swine flu. 
A total of 53 people reportedly died after getting that shot. And the U.S. government immediately halted the vaccination program. Why? Because authorities decided it was too risky. It wasn't worth it. Contrast that with what's happening now. This time, our health authorities have reserved their energy for anyone who dares to question vaccines. LifeSite News, it's a nonprofit news organization, just found itself permanently banned from Facebook. Why? Because it reported government numbers from the VAERS database, something that we just did on the air. Right, so we'll leave it there then. Right, he goes on to talk a bit more about it, and he interviews Martin Kuldorf from Harvard University, you might remember, was on this programme last year. And it's good stuff insofar as they've looked at the data, they've collated the data, and they've they've neatly packaged it. And they've been able to say, look, 4,000 deaths here, 900 injuries there, another 1,000 injuries there. Love, It's all very good. But after listening to me ramble on for 25 minutes at the beginning of the programme, do you see what's missing there? Do you understand why, as interesting as that was to listen to last night, as, a, as an exercise in journalism or a journalistic exercise, it's really not great. Where's the commentary from VAERS? Where's the VAERS spokesman or spokeswoman? Where's an interview with a, with a Democrat congressman or congresswoman who's maybe all in favour of vaccinating people? Where's that interview? You see, Tucker will move on, and he did move on. He interviewed Koldorf, and then he moved on. He didn't say we've reached out to VAERS. He didn't say we've reached out to the Secretary for Health. He didn't say we've reached out to, uh, as I said, a, a, a pro-vaccine senator or, 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 or congressman or woman. He's not taken his cameras to the offices of the CDC. He's not taken his cameras to the offices of VAERS to demand answers. He's going to move on. And that's going to be left hanging in the wind, isn't it? And that's not great, is it? Ultimately. Well, what, so, so what next? It, it reminded me of Julia Hartley Brewer months and months and months ago. She had a cabinet secretary on the radio. I can't remember which one she had. And she tied him up in knots about the failure, the, the, the endemic failures, failures of the PCR test and how the PCR test is unreliable and how it's, um, how it's um, amplified too many times when the samples are being analysed to the point that it's throwing up false positives. And it was great radio. It almost gave you hope that something really big might come out of it. But nothing ever did. There was no follow-up. There was no secondary programme or third or tertiary programme. There was no programmes afterwards. And you'll find it's the same with Tucker Carlson. It won't go anywhere. You know, there was a time when you leave no stone unturned. Why are these people dying after vaccination? It's not good enough to say that, oh, people who ask questions are being silenced. Well, fucking do something about it. You're the only guy who can do something about it. Don't, don't allow them to silence you. Get a caravan of cars and buses and drive right up their bloody back passage and ask them and demand of them. Why are you killing people with these vaccines? Why did you stop a vaccine rollout in the 70s when 53 people died? Thousands are dying now. 
Not a peep. Right? Let me read your comments. Plenty of them. It's BBG Richie on Twitter. BBG Richie on Twitter. Okay. Let me scroll on down there. Chris Morell says this episode pulls the whole thing apart. Refers to swine flu. Incredible amount of info packed into one mainstream programme. But yes, it's just like Alex Jones saying it. Probably all good, but just sounds like opinion speaking to his people. You're catching on, Chris. That's exactly right. Then what? You're a journalist, man. You've got information that thousands of people are dropping dead after being injected with some of this toxic pus. What are you going to do about it now? You're just going to fold your arms and nod and wink at the camera and say, oh, the establishment is not allowing us to question it. It's not good enough, is it? And it's not the way it used to be. Gaz says, Richie, people don't seem to care about facts. My father-in-law had the vaccine so he could access hospitals, etc. He doesn't care about the risks. But Bob, I explained earlier on, it's the, in my opinion, it's the messenger and messengers, not the message itself. It's the messenger that's not conducive to opening the minds of our friends and our family members who are rushing to a vaccine clinic to get the, uh, the, the AstraZeneca jab. It's not the message, because the message is true. The vaccines are dangerous. They're not really vaccines. You don't need them. Those are facts, not conjecture. You don't need one of these things. It will not prevent you from contracting the coronavirus. So it's useless. Number two, in the unlikely event you get COVID-19, it's likely to be a very mild illness, if an illness at all. I forget number three, to be honest. But it doesn't matter. Let me scroll on down. Hi to Patricia in Zurich. How are you doing, Patricia? Alan says, Richie, is Tucker Carlson letting some truths slip? What's he up to then? Has he realised he doesn't want to go to a Nuremberg trial as a defendant? Does anyone in the US take sniffy Biden's word on anything, says Alan in Liverpool? I don't know. Sputnik has picked up on Tucker Carlson, but then Sputnik would do, wouldn't it? Um, Sputnik would do. Dean Smith says, Richie, is Tucker trying to get fired? Uh, fired from that job. Good on him. He won't be fired, Dean. That I'm pretty sure of, but I stand to be corrected. Uh, Patricia said, to be honest, I am not and never have been a fan of Tucker, but I am impressed that he is saying these truths about VAERS. I've read that they actually do only receive about 1% of adverse events from the shots. Only 1% of adverse events are reported. That's right, Patricia, that's the, the, the figure. I'm still sceptical about Tucker Carlson, though, says Patricia. And I'm, I'm not going to bore you by saying the same thing over and over and over and over again. My scepticism is in, what was the point of that? Brilliant, brilliant. You've, you've told your audience, you're anti-lockdown, possibly... Anti-COVID vaccine, not anti-vaccine, but anti-COVID vaccine audience. You've told them they probably knew anyway. Do you get the point I'm making? The watching audience knew, I knew, I knew, Spiro Skouras knew, many of those watching knew. What next? 
That's the issue, isn't it? We're going to take a tune, and when we come back, we're going to talk about James O'Brien on LBC. We're going to talk about James O'Brien on LBC. For the crack, it's five minutes to six o'clock, Thursday's programme. It's uh, me, the BBG, live from Salford, the Richie Allen Radio Show. And this is Joy Division. Love will tear us apart. Joy Division there, Ian Curtis, top man. Taken well before his time, Ian. And love will tear us apart, the Richie Allen Radio Show. Let me read a few more comments then. Thanks for the comments. Love your comments, I really do. Ewan says, if you're going to talk about James O'Brien, I better get a bucket. Yes. The real James Dinsdale. How are you doing, James? I love a laugh, Richie, at that twat. O'Brien, a dickhead of the highest order, says James. He's not great, James. I, I'll grant you that. Rob says, Richie, Julia Hartley Brewer tweeted yesterday, the debts in the young were at a five-year high. And I still had Muppets telling me I was wrong when I said it was down to face nappies, lockdowns and possible vaccine trials. The world is truly full of brainwashed fucktards, says Rob. It is Rob, but I'm trying to explain as best as I can. And I hope I've got some, I, I hope what I say carries some weight with you. Because I've worked at every level of the media. You know, they're not stupid and it's not always cognitive dissonance with people. Listen back to the first 25 minutes again later on, maybe. I don't know. Or maybe by, by later on you'll be sick of me for this week. I don't blame you. I'm sick of myself. Brown Eye says Richie Tucker could easily have found out. Only 1-10% to 10% are reported. It's on the government's own website. Thank you, my friend. John in Austin, my friend John. Tucker is fully aware of how far he can go. And Claire, how you doing, Claire? I'm sorry to hear this, and I really am. I'm not just saying it. Claire says my mum had her second job on Thursday. She was blue-lighted to accident and emergency on Monday. She's still really unwell. Coincidence, asks Claire. Vaccine response, asks Claire. Who knows, she asks. But I will be asking the questions, though, says Claire. Claire, I, I, I wish you the very best. Sending all the love in the world to your mum that she gets better and, and very quickly. And she might very well do. So keep, uh, keep positive, Claire. Charlie says, Richie, there's no difference in which case between the MSM and QAnon. Both are just cake for the masses. And the bad actors are Marie Antoinette. Good point, Charlie. Imagine a shadowy figure as being responsible for this, for this nightmare. Imagine a shadowy... Forget Klaus Schwab for a minute. Forget uh, George Soros. Forget Bill Gates. Forget them. Just picture in your mind some malevolent force, some energy in the room, in a dark room. I don't want to upset you or make you scared. Imagine a force that's running all this. Here's the question. And I am not being disrespectful to Tucker Carlson in any way. Okay. I know where I am. I don't have that kind of reach. I respect it. I'm not being disrespectful to him. Do you think that malevolent energy gives a rat's arse the Tucker is telling the truth about the vaccine debts, do you? No. Now, your next question should be, why? Why is the malevolent entity not a bit scared that a national a nationally syndicated television talk host is telling the truth. Why? I explained it to you in the first 25 minutes. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. 
Tucker brought on Martin Kuldorf, who said, yeah, 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 vaccines, yeah, not great, yeah. Theirs is not great either. Uh, we don't know really what the numbers are. Brilliant. Tucker moves on. People watching Tucker probably already know. Now I am repeating myself. Preaching to the converted. How do you get Billy and Auntie Mavis to pay attention to it? Not by Tucker talking about it. Not by Julia Hartley Brewer talking about it. And then interviewing somebody who agrees with them. And then moving on. And bemoaning the fact that, um, oh, I'm being censored. Oh, uh, it's terrible. Uh, people who ask questions, uh, they get deleted off of Facebook. Yes, but what, what are you going to do then? Google world's great journalists. You'll get all the names, Bernays et al. You'll get them all. Did those people sit on their fucking arses with that sort of information? They didn't. Your responsibility goes beyond looking down a camera, reading the autocue and saying, Jesus, they suspended a vaccine rollout when 53 people died in the 1970s. Thousands are dying now, seemingly, and they won't tell us why. In other news, the LA Rams just signed a new quarterback. Get off your fucking arse! You have the reach. You've got the big Twitter following. Do a live stream from outside theirs. Do a live stream from outside the Moderna factory. Or Pfizer. And ask them. Do what uh, Roger Cook used to do for ITV years ago. Walk up to a CEO of one of these companies and say, are you remotely fucking concerned that the jabs that you've um, rushed into existence, promising us that they were miraculous and were going to save us all, they're fucking killing people. Go to Bill Gates' house. Scream into the... The, the voice box, the intercom system. Get out here, you nerdy bastard. What's going on? Why are all these people dropping dead, Billy? And film that fucking stuff. That's how you do it, at least in the beginning. Or invite those who are in favour of the vaccines on. Do your job. Joining me now from London is some dipstick from Sage. But you don't say that. You say it's Billy Smith from Sage. How you doing, Billy? I'm all right, Chucker. What about yourself, old son? Well, Billy, I, I brought you on and I'm going to give you plenty of time to answer these questions. Why are these vaccines killing people, Billy? Doesn't get any easier. That's journalism. This is not. This is commentary. Celebrity-driven bullshit. Clickbait stuff for people who already know. I'll hang out with Tucker. Why? Well, he tells me that I'm right. Some of you do it to me. You tell me in the emails you send me. I love listening to you, Richie. It's great to hear the truth. What the fuck is that? <laughs> you know what I mean? What's the truth? What are we going to do about it? Ultimately, right? It's, uh, it's fucking Prozac. Tucker Carlson. And sometimes talk radio. And sometimes Breitbart. Fucking Prozac. Brilliant. The shadowy figure controlling it, the entity, couldn't give a shit. It's exactly the way it's meant to be. It's the Matrix. It's the Matrix again. The architect saying to Neo, we've been here before, son. This is how it works. Feed them. Feed them what they want to hear. And then watch the inertia materialise in front of your eyes. Nothing happens. Ah, oh, somebody else will do it. 
Tucker Carlson is saying that the vaccines are killing people. Great, great. We're on the road out of this nightmare. No, you're not. Or anything like it. Let's talk about James O'Brien then. That pathetic ponce. We don't use ponce often enough, do we? God be with the days when ponce. And the other night we talked about Burke. Great words. James O'Brien was talking about Donald Trump. <clears throat> O'Brien, of course, the, 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 officially the worst, the most untalented presenter to ever host a national radio programme. He really is. That's not sour grapes for me. He's garbage. Um, O'Brien wanted to talk about how it's the right thing that Trump has kept off of Facebook. And incredibly, O'Brien, while lamenting the lies of Donald, J. Trump, um, took to telling some pretty, well, some pretty... Unique whoppers, whoppers. He started telling whoppers, James O'Brien. He had a caller on. The caller doesn't like people like Trump being banned from Facebook. Listen carefully, it's good. Right. Well, my, my issue really, James, is that I don't think social media should be regulated in the same way as newspapers are because they're not the same thing. I mean, social media, I, for me, is a way that people can talk to each other. And so I sort of compare it to the pub. So if you go to the pub, I think I'd be pretty offended if somebody came over to me and said, I don't, you know, I don't like what you're saying. I disagree with you. You're not allowed to say that. Well, so well, well what if you were encouraging to... people to drink a pint of bleach? Actually, crikey, that's not even a figure of speech with Donald Trump, is it? <laughs> well, it's not. But um... no, That's my point. That's a serious point. Well, I mean, I don't think I agree with you anyway, but just by way of an example, what if you were actively encouraging people to drink a pint of bleach in the pub? Nobody has encouraged anybody to drink a pint of bleach, by the way. Keep that in mind. Well, OK. Well, if I'm talking to my friends, then, you know, again... Hopefully but you're not, you're not talking to your friends. On, on, to say. You're not talking to your friends on Facebook. You, you, okay. they, they might be called your friends, but you're talking potentially to, to tens, hundreds of thousands of people that you're never going to meet. Yeah. Well, again, well, when it comes to somebody like Donald Trump, yes. I agree with you, it's a different matter. Um, but I, I think of Donald Trump as being like the man in the pub that's annoying everybody and getting into fights. He would then get kicked out of the pub. Oh, no, but you can't keep this analogy after I've expertly demolished it with my drinking a pint of bleach point. Ah, so O'Brien expertly demolished the point of a caller, a nice-sounding gentleman. How far up your own fucking arse do you have to be to behave like that? I've expertly demolished what you said with my pint of bleach counter-argument. Keep that in mind. This is beautiful stuff. Well, but if I, if I said to my friends, hey, guys, go and drink bleach, it'll, you know, get rid of the COVID virus. Yes. And then someone did. But they wouldn't. <laughs> but you go, this doesn't work. You know it doesn't work. Because, I mean, <laughs> A, you're not talking about Facebook. You're talking about people that know you and trust you on, on, on some meaningful level. Whereas Facebook allows fake actors. It allows dishonest agents that, who, who come as your friend. They're even called friend under the argo, the vocabulary of the technology. And then they are either punting enormous and dangerous lies or, in, in my example today, encouraging you to, to harm yourself. Uh, in yeah. a way, encouraging people not to take the vaccine is, is, is potentially a, a dangerous thing. So, so I, I think you, like me, possibly have your Facebook set up in such a way that the analogy with the pub works. Yeah, 
What was that about the vaccine? <laughs> in a way, encouraging people not to take the vaccine is 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 potentially a, a dangerous thing. So so O'Brien is an advocate for banning people for life from Facebook and Twitter if they recommend that people don't take one of these experimental drugs. He said this previously on his programme and we've discussed it. Okay, this gets worse now. Remember, O'Brien is talking about it being a righteous thing to do and it being for the betterment of humanity if we delete liars from social media. Let's agree with James O'Brien. So, I, I think you, like me... Let's agree with him just for the minute. We have your Facebook set up in such a way that the analogy with the pub works. Certainly anything I posted on my Facebook page could only be seen by my friends. And, and I'm not friends with anyone on Facebook that I don't know in real life. Uh, Twitter's very different, obviously, but I keep my Facebook quite carefully closed. So that works, but that's not the Facebook we're talking about. We're talking about a very different Facebook that essentially allows uh, enormously high-profile people, in the case of Donald Trump, to punt deeply dangerous lies. The suspension... Lies. Remember lies now. Suspension is for the um, perceived incitement on January the 6th. The, uh, I mean, it, in a nutshell, they're inside the Capitol, these, these, it, these rioters, these criminals, these delinquents, one of whom, of course, wearing that infamous Auschwitz T-shirt, and Donald Trump is posting, we love you, you're very special, and calling them great patriots who would remember this day forever. So that, that's the suspension for breaching community rules. The, the massive lie about the last election, I don't know, would alone get him banned. Uh, and, and I wrote in my first book about how we can't begin the fight back or the journey back to objective truth, to things that are just true. We're not going to have a debate about whether the moon is made of moon. It just is. We can't get back to, to anything close to normality until we somehow remove these lies and these liars from the public space. But how do you do that when the biggest liar of them all is the most powerful man on the planet? Mm. Let's go back a little bit. Well, but if I, if I said to my friends, hey, guys, go and drink bleach, it'll, you know, get rid of the COVID virus. Yes. And then someone did. But they wouldn't. <laughs> you go, this doesn't work. You know it doesn't work. Because, I mean, <laughs> A, you're not talking about Facebook. You're talking about people that know you and trust you on, on, on some meaningful level. Whereas Facebook allows fake actors. It allows dishonest agents that, who, who come as your friend. They're even called friend under the argo, the vocabulary of the technology. And right, and don't forget. Right. Well, my, my issue really just be regulars the way that people put so You're not allowed Sorry to for say doing that. this. Nice. <laughs> crikey, that's not even a figure of speech for donkey. That, yeah. Crikey, that's not even... Well, 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 what if you were encouraging people to drink a pint of bleach? Ah, that's it. Should have grabbed that out. My apologies. What if you were encouraging people to drink a pint of bleach? You're not allowed to say that. Well, 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 what if you were encouraging people to drink a pint of bleach? Mm. But you see, Donald Trump never encouraged anybody to drink a pint of bleach, and I don't have any time for Donald Trump. None. I don't have a modicum of time. I don't have a scintilla. I don't have a second of time for Donald Trump. None. But he never told anybody to drink bleach. Never. He never urged or invited or recommended that a person drink a pint of bleach. On April 23rd last year, this is exactly what Donald Trump said. So, supposing we hit the body with a tremendous, uh, whether it's ultraviolet or just very powerful light, and I think you said that hasn't been checked, but you're going to test it. And then I said, supposing you brought the light inside the body, you can, which you can do either through the skin or uh, in some other way, 
And I think you said you're going to test that, too. Sounds interesting. We'll get the right, folks who right. And then I see the disinfectant, where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection inside or, or almost a cleaning? Because you see it gets on the lungs, and it does a tremendous number of the lungs. So it would be interesting to check that. So that you're going to have to use medical doctors with. Yeah. But it sounds... It sounds interesting to me. That's all he says. So we'll see. But the whole concept of the light, the way it kills it. And, yeah. when- and he doesn't mention disinfectant again. He, he misunderstood something that was said to him in a briefing a short time before. Probably because he's a narcissistic child who wasn't really listening. When one of his advisors talked about how disinfectant, a certain type of disinfectant, uh, can maybe might be very effective at killing the virus maybe on surfaces maybe. And in rooms. And Trump, being the big stupid muppet that he is, thought that he was being told that we might be able to inject disinfectant into people. And all he said was, well, what did you say to me earlier on about the disinfectant there uh, and the lungs? Trump never said to people, go and drink disinfectant, nor did he tell people to go and drink a pint of bleach. Nationally, nationally platformed James O'Brien, fuckwit, wants to ban people for telling lies wants people to be kicked off of social media for telling lies or for disagreeing with him, presumably. That's a massive lie. Now, it's not going to hurt Donald Trump too much. It's not about Trump or Trump's feelings. It's not about libel. It's a massive lie. He's perpetuating a myth, isn't he? That Trump told people to go and drink bleach and he'd done nothing of the sort. Where's Ofcom? Where's the UK broadcast regulator? Surely he's got something to say on that. Because James O'Brien, whatever he might be, isn't fucking stupid. He knows that Donald Trump didn't tell people to take to their kitchens and to pour themselves a pint of bleach and to chug away. He knows this is not true, but yet he said it anyway. In a segment that was all about dealing with massive lies on social media. You kind of kind of just couldn't second make it up, could you? You kind of couldn't make it up. Tracy Ullman on the Richie Allen Radio Show for Thursday, They Don't Know. Classic cheese on the Richie Allen Show. Tracy Ullman there. To your comments then. Chris came back and says, Richie, the comedian Sarah Cooper lip-synced Trump, held up a bottle of bleach and put that image in our minds. Well, Brian would have seen that and laughed. That was the turning point for me, says... Chris, Trump also took hydroxychloroquine, uh, so that was wrong too, says Chris. Thanks, Chris. Thank you very much. Loads and loads and loads of tweets. Hey, before I go any further, let me pay a belated, a belated tribute to our friend Ron, the octogenarian. Well, he became one yesterday. Ron turned 80, was on one of the phone-in programmes recently, lovely gentleman, and had it in my mind to mention it. And I put it into a little program that I have on one of my computers that flashes up little messages at me during the program. I'm going to blame the technology. It isn't like me. Should have mentioned it yesterday because Ron was 80 yesterday. And I've just learned that another friend of the show's column, known as Dove Rock on Twitter, column is in Dublin and he turned 52 today. He's a quintagenarian. No, I don't know what he is. But uh, he's 52. And he's a good lad. How you doing? 
Colin. Right, I'm talking to you and I'm thinking of something else as well. Ida Sham Bala who says, Brian is a nar- narcissistic tool who thinks uh, he's cerebral and cultured. He does, very fond of himself, James O'Brien. Worst presenter, pond scum. The worst presenter on UK radio. There's never been a, a worse presenter. That's dreadful, that. That wouldn't have flown when I began my career. It wouldn't have flown. A guy like him, a banker, not a banker, what was he? London School of Economics graduate. Dickhead. Wouldn't have gotten anywhere near a radio station. A, because he's got no talent whatsoever. And B, because, well, he's just got no talent whatsoever. I've previous with LBC, as some of you will remember. I hate them. So maybe, maybe I'm biased. Angela says O'Brien makes her queasy. That he does. They're using him to pump stomachs in accident and emergency units now, aren't they? To save on the medicine, aren't they? When some poor 17-year-old comes in full up of vodka, they'll just run a bit of O'Brien. They'll pipe in a bit of O'Brien into the emergency room and all of that will come up fairly quickly, yeah. Let's uh, do this next. I'm going to be with you till half six, I think. Bit disjointed today, but uh, listen, you've got to bear with me sometimes, you know, and all of that. Listening to BBC News 24 this afternoon... And I, I, I spied with my little ear, eh? I eavesdropped with my little ear on a guy called Dr. Parth Patel. Dr. Parth Patel. How many Patels do you think are in the phone book in India? That's the oldest gag in the world. I know, I know. But it does occur to me sometimes. Dr. Parth Patel is a clinical research fellow at UCL, the University, University College London. He was on BBC News today. And, um, well, door-to-door vaccines might be a thing for the vaccine hesitant. He was talking to the BBC anchor, without the W, some woman whose name I don't know, and they were talking about vaccine hesitancy. What about going door-to-door with the vaccines? And we should be hearing something now. Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Let's try that again door-to-door vaccines. Just, just finally, Dr Patel, how um, feasible, desirable mm. would and helpful would it be if people can't get to the vaccine, take the vaccine to them, like a door-to-door service? Yeah, that, that's, so that's a really interesting idea. And we're starting to see that being piloted, actually, in some parts of the UK. Don't know if I'm getting it completely. I know Leicester are piloting it and there's a couple of other places. And I think that's a really interesting idea. I think we're likely to see that work to some extent, actually. The US are doing a slightly similar thing and it sort of overcomes that access barrier. Like I said, there's two things I want. There's hesitancy and there's access. We're not doing enough about the access. You're taking the vaccine people's door, that's going to make a difference. How big of a difference, that's yet to be seen. Yeah, do you remember on on my website, I wrote a few weeks back about the persuaders. Remember that? The local authorities said they were thinking about employing persuaders to turn up to people like Ron, who said he wouldn't have a vaccine. Top man, Ron. They phoned him up, didn't they, and said, why won't you have it? He said, I don't want it. And they said, you're going on the decline list. Ron told him to get stuffed. And off they went. So the persuaders will come around. Ah, go on, have the vaccine, go on. No, I've read some things about blood clotting and I've heard that thousands of people are dying and it's not being reported. Ah, go on, have the vaccine, go on. Go on, do it for other people. Ah, go on, just, just do it and you'll be able to go back to the cinema. No, I don't like the fact that Billy Gates was involved in vaccine programmes in other countries and lots of people seem to have gotten ill. Ah, go on, have the, go on, have the vaccine. So you say no and slam the effing door. 
couple of weeks later, knock on the door again, and the persuader is back, but this time has the vaccine. <laughs> I go on, I have it here. It'll only be a, a, a little prick, and it'll be all over, and it'll be protected against the COVID. Go on, go on, I have it here in my case. These people are insane, aren't they? Talking about door-to-door vaccines. These people are absolutely batshit crazy. How did they ever pass through? How did they ever graduate universities, these people? And the answer to that is quite simple. You do not need to be intelligent to get a medical degree. You just have to have to have a good memory. You just have to train yourself to regurgitate texts. Or reams and reams of texts. Anybody can do it. If I got through uni, not just once but twice, you can do it too. I'm not selling myself short. I'm obviously a genius. No, I'm obviously not. But if I can do it, you can do it. It's all memory. Memory. That's what it is. That's why they're killing people when they come out of uni. You see, they spend a lot of their uni time socialising and getting pissed right up. Nothing wrong with that. But they cram like a bastard. And they've got good memories. And they pass their exams. And they end up in emergency rooms for a year or two under the close supervision of a doctor, an older person, an older man or woman. But, but sadly, then they're sent out to GP practices where they are not so closely supervised. And that's when they're dangerous, these people, in my opinion. That's all opinion, not conjecture. That, sorry, that's all conjecture, not fact. It's just my opinion. Where are we now, eh? Where are we now? Mother of divine Jesus, where are we? Sorry for the casual blasphemy, but it is a Thursday. Jennifer Dowd, lovely Jennifer with an American accent was speaking to Adam Bolton of Sky News. Adam went out to do a report, something I don't think Adam has done for many years. Good for him. Getting back uh, getting back in theatre again, in the theatre. Getting back out there. In the field. That's the one. Getting back in the field. Bolton wanted to know about hygiene theatre. How much of what we've been told to do in the last 15 months actually works and how much of it is arbitrary bollocks or Hygiene theatre. You and I know that 99.99999% of what we've been asked to do is arbitrary bollocks. 0.00001%. I don't know. Right. Great stuff. So you'll hear Jennifer Dowd, Professor of Population Health, Oxford University. And she reckons that, well, quite a bit of what we've been asked to do is hygiene theatre. In other words, we've been asked to do it for peace of mind. It isn't really effective at all. This is good. Unfortunately, I do agree with the term hygiene theatre in the sense that I think a lot of this is about making us feel safer. You know, uh, small businesses want customers to come back in and feel safe. And there's, these are things they can demonstrably do. Um, but I think that the danger comes when it, you know, it could be doing more harm than good. Plexiglass screens obstructing air circulation. Now, I deliberately didn't edit this out. Bolton is in a hairdresser's and they're spraying disinfectant on everything. They're spraying it in the air, hosing down places where somebody touched them. All this madness is going on to protect you from the COVID germs. ...are one of their bete noir. But you. topping their hit list is obsessive cleaning much. of surfaces, so-called fomite, where infection might possibly be found. Now we'll hear the professor again. The, the US CDC has reviewed the data and, and changed their guidance pretty recently. And their assessment of the data was that even if you touched a contaminated surface, your chance of becoming infected was less than one in 10,000. Yeah. 
Um, and there's just a whole series of events that would have to happen. You know, someone very infectious would have to sneeze or cough directly onto a surface that you touched, you know, very shortly thereafter. You would then have to get that somehow into your nose or eyes and your, your mucous membranes in order to have an infection. It's not the same as breathing in all of those tiny particles. Yeah. One in 10,000 or less than one in 10,000, that's the chances of getting an infection if you touch a surface that has been touched by an infected person. So essentially what the good Oxford professor was telling us is getting businesses to obsessively clean down surfaces, to constantly keep spraying the air, to insist that customers wash their hands over and over and over again with hand sanitizer. Effectively, it's arbitrary bollocks. It's nonsense. And I'm going to leave you with that. And thank you for listening this afternoon. I hope some of it made sense today. A bit different today, I think. A little bit different. I'm back with you on Sunday morning with Sunday Morning Melodies at 10 o'clock. Live from Richie Allen Show Towers in Salford. Where I'll be playing some tunes, some choice tunes. And chatting about, uh, well, anything and everything with you for two hours on Sunday at 10 o'clock. In the meantime, look after yourselves and one another. Thanks for listening this week. Thanks to all my guests. Have a great weekend. And I'm leaving you with Brucey. E. <laughs>